1: This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A.,
3: Well, hey, everybody. It is me, Rosie O'Donnell, star of the Flintstones. Glad you found me here on Onward with Rosie O'Donnell, your host. That's me. Well, sad news. Sinead O'Connor is no longer with us. Heartbreaking to me, really. Such a wonderful warrior woman she is and was. And I had tremendous respect and compassion and empathy for her. And, uh, was very, very saddened to hear that she wasn't with us. But she was struggling to stay alive, and she talked about it openly, and she talked about things that other people weren't ready to face, like the the horrible child sex abuse in the Catholic Church, and her ripping up the Pope's picture was about that. And then we caught up about a decade later, and everybody was like, wow, I guess she was right. But she was ostracized, and her records and CDs burned and bulldozed, and she was bullied. And, um, you know, she was an angelic presence on earth who had suffered so much child abuse. And she talked about that, too, that, you know, in all of the United Kingdom, that um, Ireland had the highest levels of child abuse. And I just loved her. That's all I can say. And she lost her son. I can't imagine What that feels like for any parent, and I believe that's hard to survive. So to everyone who's done that, good for you, for staying around, and for those who couldn't make it. We wish you uh, peace on your journey onward somewhere in the universe. I believe souls are still with us. Energy can't be created or destroyed, right, isn't that? So, you know, what happens to the spark of life of humanity When someone goes, I believe it lives on. It lives on. We have a wonderful, a wonderful guest today. It's one of my very close friends. Her name is Sheila Nevins, and she is 84 years old. (laughs) She doesn't like when I tell people that, but I think it's pretty astounding that she is as old as she is, looking as beautiful as she is. And uh, so on it, man, she is on it. Who is she? Well, she's the queen of documentary films in the United States, probably in the entire world. She has overseen productions of 500 documentaries. She's got 32 primetime Emmys, nominated for 79 Academy Awards, 126 of them. 35 News and Documentary Emmys, 42 Peabody Awards for HBO, and one personal Peabody awarded to her for Outstanding Achievement and Documentaries. She also received a News and Documentary Emmy for Lifetime Achievement, the Lifetime Achievement Award from the International Documentary Association, Visionary Leadership Award, The National Board of Review presented her with a humanitarian award for her contribution to the advancement of social reforms and the promotion of human welfare through film. As well, the New York Women in Film Television Muse Award for Outstanding Vision and Achievement. And Sheila Nevins was inducted into the Broadcasting and Cable's Hall of Fame. She is the woman I hope to grow up to be. I love her so much. I've made a bunch of documentaries with her. And she's someone I always go to for advice in my life and uh, with my kids. And she's an adoptive mom, just like me. And she's fantastic. It brought me such joy to do it and to introduce you all who may not know the brilliance of Sheila Evans. Stick around because you're going to be wowed. Speaking of being wowed, I saw. The Barbie movie, and just like Sheila, it's a feminist manifesto. <laughs> I freaking loved it. It is such an important film to take your daughters to and your sons to see. Uh, the brilliance of this movie. Listen, when I first heard that there was a movie about Barbie, I had no interest in seeing it. Then I started reading the reviews and talking to friends, so I took Dakota a few days ago, and I have to say. I was blown away. I was so empowered. I was so thinking of all the women heroes in the world and how much we owe them. Like Sinead O'Connor, she was a leader in this world and she fought out against injustice. And um, Sheila Nevin, she's a leader in this world. She finds stories of human nature. She puts them on film and she breaks your heart in half every time she does it. So. Go see the Barbie movie, put on a few Sinead O'Connor records, and sit back and listen to this interview with Sheila Nevins, documentary Queen, right now on Onward. Now listen, Sheila and Evans, you look fantastic though. You're not trying to lose
4: yeah, I'm eighty-four years old. I'm ready to die. I should be exiting. You're eighty-four
3: and you're a whipper snapper. You're as sharp as I'm you can. I'm a whipper.
4: Were. I don't know about the snapper part.
3: I'm a whipper. Do you begrudge yourself for getting old or do you like I it? I
4: hate it so much. Really? I hate it so much. My mother died at fifty-seven. And my father, I don't know how old he was because he was an immigrant and and he was just, you know, between two and six years old when he arrived at LSI. So we don't know how old he was when he died. He could have been 79 or 80, whatever. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I hate it. It's not meant to be, you know. I think all it's pharmaceuticals and Botox and (laughs) fixing the ass and forcing yourself on. Got it. Well- you
3: are the foremost authority on documentaries in the country. Would you say that, Sheila
4: Evans? I like that you think that.
3: So. I, I don't think it. I know it. Now you're very sweet.
4: I was there when no one else was there. So I get credit for creating something that had already existed. Does that make sense?
3: Yes, it does. Because HBO, you were the one who brought the docs to HBO, right? You were the first and only one to have that position.
4: Because it wasn't really a position. It was a way to get shows on fast. Mm. And I didn't know much about docs. I thought docs were about like, you know, Hitler's last days and, right, you know, Truman. And I, I thought yeah. of Winston Churchill's, you know, I had no idea that they could be about people. Yes. I didn't know because my background was theater. I had no, I just didn't know. But I wanted the job.
3: And you got the job, and you did it brilliantly
4: for so many years. Yeah, I did. And then I got kicked out.
3: Yeah. Now, I want to talk about that because I read that article where you talked about it fairly recently and what really happened behind the scenes. What what do you think? It was just pure ageism and misogyny?
4: I think it was ageism first. I think Mm -hmm. it was misogyny, which is in everything. Um, and yes. I think it was that I was a top-back person, Rosie, and I think yeah. they'd had enough of that. Yeah. You know, I didn't like famous people. Mm-hmm. I liked, you know, ordinary people. If I was going to do a documentary about with minimum wage, I wasn't going to have a star introduce it. I was going to go to people who were trying to live on a minimum wage. Of course, right. And that was not the star-studded way to approach reality stories for yeah. New administration there. And so I was like a naughty girl.
3: You talked back and you stood up for the things that you believed in.
4: Yeah, but I was, I have a spot of arrogance, you know that.
3: Yeah, but I love that about you. I, oh, I call but, it confidence. You know, you're
4: not paying my salary.
3: <laughs> but I
4: would, Sheila. I
3: it would. Works. Oh my of God. Of course oh I would. God. I would hire oh you God. to be the documentarian of the nation. Come on. <laughs> in this, this nation, that's all fucked up. <laughs> it's so fucked up. Can oh you my even God, believe? Grossly. How are we here? How
4: are we here again? I don't know. I don't know. Back, back and back. Yes. I'm doing a a documentary on book banning Mm -hmm. and the books that are banned, like the James Baldwin book and the Anne Frank graphic novel. And, I mean, it's like unbelievable what's banned. Mouse is banned. I mean, kids cannot take out of their libraries in school the books that I grew up on. That made me feisty and and talk back. Right. What are they going to do? Read books about nice, happy little children that are all white all over? Right. No,
3: it's just horrifying. And I think I can't believe, like, I'm wearing my Roe 1973 shirt, uh, Roe v. Wade. You know, I wear it every day. Like, I want to walk around and go, screw you all for doing this, for getting us back here. How did this happen? We fought
4: so hard. I don't know. You know, when you talk about abortions— my abortion was probably the most traumatic experience of my entire life right? so far. I haven't experienced death just yet. But I mean, of all the things and the falls and the mistakes and the hurts, there was nothing more traumatic than, mm-hmm. than going to an office building in Washington in 1963 and uh, having a guy say uh, $300 now, Ooh. giving it to him, and then being thrown on a couch with four other women who were crying. And he walked in and he said, you killed your babies, ladies, and he walked out. Isn't he charming? Yeah, it was charming. It was charming. And that's where we are again. I mean, it really is a terrifying experience. And why you would subject women to this experience, it's beyond anything. And then you attack the the morning after pill, Mm -hmm. in addition to everything else, you're going to poke them that way too. I think it all comes from a certain kind of misogyny. I don't think it has anything to do with God or anything. It has to do with no. what women can do that men can't. What can they do? They can have babies, they can get right. pregnant. So let's let's fuck their womb. You know, let's go after that. It has nothing yeah. to do with the life and all that because it's ridiculous. You, you know, you're talking about matter. Yes.
3: I completely agree with you. And the fact that in 2023, that this is the the law of the land now, that you can have people get vetted for the Supreme court and have them lie and then change exactly what they said when they got appointed and nobody does anything about it. It's just like, well, but we're the Supreme screwed.
4: court, I don't really understand the foundation of the Supreme court, but the main thing I don't understand about it other than I understand the selection process, but I don't understand why it's for life. Me what either. Art government job is for life, right? There are terms for everybody else. And you go on the Supreme court You're basically defying or ratifying the laws of a nation and you're there for life.
3: Yeah. Doesn't make sense.
4: That's horrible.
3: It's horrible. We'll be back right after this.
0: pride from tomboy x we just dropped our pride 24 collection queer founded queer run and creating size and gender inclusive underwear swimwear and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin visit tomboyx.com to shop
1: hey girlfriends it's me carol fisher i'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of the girlfriends in season one we told you about the murder of gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend bob Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. love the connection to people. I think at the core, Apple podcast or wherever you get your podcast.
3: What do you think about Biden? Are you a supporter? Or what do you think?
4: I think he means well. Me too. And because I am so subjected to age discrimination and he mm-hmm. and I are pretty much the same age. Um, I, I, I I support Something about a president being in his 80s. Why not? Why not? Better than a president who wants to stop you from speaking the truth. That's true. That's 55. You know, I'll go with it. And as far as what happens to your brain in aging, things happen. But not everybody has Alzheimer's. Right. Not everybody falls. Right. Not everybody can't think in the name of the other people. Mm -hmm. Actually, as I get older, I get a little more generous about gratitude. I become kinder because I I realize as, you know, I get older that one I'm human and I can't go on at a certain rate, and two that it's my job to leave behind people that are stronger than I am, and I think I'm more generous. I don't I don't mean financially. I mean emotionally. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, more accessible. Maybe. Do you think you yeah. take more time with relationships?
4: Yeah, and I want the people that I work with. To do well, I want them to be successful. I have competition for excellence in the actual work, but I don't have competition with younger people. Right. I want to succeed if they're good and talented and I want to help them. And I mean, I, I feel that that's a real change in the last 15 years because I wasn't always so generous. Well, I,
3: I find that not to be true. I think you've been very generous with me. You've been very loving and familial. And uh,
4: and I loved you. I read that book about kids are punny, remember? And I went to Radio yes. City. How many years ago was that, Rosie? My God, it was like 96. Yeah, it was like forever ago. I read a book review of it in the New York Times and I thought, oh, that Rosie O'Donnell, that smart woman that has that talk show, I'm going to go to Radio City. So I went, right. terrified. Rosie, I took two out of M's.
3: I can't believe that that you told me the story once, but I don't believe that you were nervous
4: for me. I was so come on, because I, I was asking you if we could animate your book. I didn't even know you. I mean, and nobody really wanted to do it at HBO at the time because we didn't have children's programming. Right. So I sort of went on my own. Right? Well,
3: I I was nervous to meet you, Sheila, because no, I had
4: not. Listen, I was
3: I'm a huge documentary fan. You know this, and I was like, oh, I know, but. It, it's hard for you to imagine that, but you are really revered. You have the most Emmys of
4: anyone in the world. Nobody was doing what I was doing. Right. So of course, I the most. In other words, I was the only one in that ballpark. So, of course, I hit the ball over the, you know. Most people don't do that, though.
3: Now, do you think you have a favorite one? You have a favorite doc of all the docs you've done? Because I have one of yours that's one of my favorites.
4: Well, my favorite is a very strange one. I saw a bird... It was actually a pelican. I have no connection to pelicans at all. I saw a pelican on CNN that was covered with oil after the oil spill in New Orleans. Mm, yes. And um, I, I don't know, I got attached to this picture and I thought, what's going to happen to this bird? And so I called some rescue group there and they said that they save oil spilled, damaged pelicans. And they try to teach them to fly and to eat. And I thought, Okay, I don't know anything about that. You know, I don't, you know. So I sent this wonderful filmmaker, Irene Taylor Brodsky. She was like in her tenth month, and uh, but she was fairly nearby. And I said, Irene, you got to go find an oil bird that's maybe going to make it and maybe not going to make it. So we found a pelican. He was number eight nine five. <laughs> Nobody watched the film. It got no nothing. But every maybe every other day. I would call to find out the fate of the pelican. And every day we would shoot this pelican. He didn't know how to eat fish. Mm. He didn't know. I mean, he was just abandoned on the beach. Probably his mother died. I don't know. And then one day, about three weeks after his rehab, and these were all volunteers, you know, that thing called volunteer. And they were young people and they were, you know, bathing the pelican and trying to take the oil off because the oil would harden on their, you know, on their bodies, mm. they didn't have that many wings yet, baby pelican. And they would laboriously, you know, take this off and give the pelican antibiotics. And then finally, they taught him how to fly by watching wow. all the pelicans that they had that had recouped. And then they took him to the beach one day. And we were this was before cell phones, okay? No, mm-hmm. we had phones, but we couldn't make pictures. Right. So I was there. Fortunately, our baby was late. She was down by the beach, <laughs> and the pelican was like waddling around. He hadn't been really out of his, you know, artificial habitat uh, before. And the point was, was he going to use what he knew to fly? Was he going to, I get choked up when I talk about and Mm. I'd been watching him for six weeks and his name was 895 because they would put a thing around his wrist so they could somehow find him if he died soon after. But anyway, And we watched, and the music guy who was going to do music for the docu said, I don't know, is it a happy ending or a sad ending? We don't (laughs) know. We've got to be patient. We got to watch me be patient. We got to watch this pelican and see what he does. So for about 30 minutes, I am not kidding. We were on the phone saying, What is he doing? What is he doing? You know, is he walking? Is he walking? What is he doing? What is he doing? You know, like crazy people. Right. um, Who are the only really good people? And then suddenly this pelican, started to lift and flap his wings. And mm. then suddenly he got off the ground and then he came right back again. And he got off the ground and came back. And I said, Irene, Irene, is he going to go? Is he going to go? And no, nope, we didn't know. And he went. Aww. And he flew up into the sky. And I'm not a spiritual person. But at that moment, I thought life makes sense. He went up and he joined a flock of what I guess were in the family of Pelicans, not exactly Pelicans, I don't really know. Pelican adjacent. Adjacent Pelicans, yeah. And he went up and he he left. He left. Wow. He wow. Had. And he went on, I guess, to have a good life. I don't know. Yeah. But that's my favorite film because I like when you don't know the ending. Yes. So if you're in a cancer ward, you kinda know the ending, you know. Correct. It's a woman living on, you know. With the time, seven seventy-five an hour. Mm-hmm. She has two jobs and two kids. You know, kind of what's going on, and you, you watch it, but you don't. There's not going to be a happy ending there. There's going to be just work. So you kind of know, right? But I didn't know about the Pelican at all.
3: Well, the one that I love so much is Boy Interrupted. Is that Liz? Yeah, I think it was Liz. Yeah, I can see the grandmother's face and. The pain in that family, the generational trauma of suicide and mental illness, and Terrible. it was—it was. I can uh, still uh, feel what it felt like to watch it for the first time. What about
4: your doctors, the ones we did together? The all aboard the cruise, yeah, the cruise one was yeah. great, and we called it all aboard because it was gay, <laughs> straight whatever many years ago, and I got more criticisms of that really than I got compliments because people said we don't care if gay people are well we're back there again right how many years ago yes we don't care if gay people go on a cruise why are they putting that on hbo i'm canceling my subscription it's not you know i mean you know give me a break so i mean and then we also did um heartfelt stand-up yes it saves a lot of lives on that one
3: i know people say to me still people stopped me and said i was on your cruise i was on your ship, the first cruise you did, the gay cruise, I'm in the documentary. I was like, wow. And the kids are all grown, of course. And, you know, we're, we're all got gray hair now. And um, it it had a profound effect, I think. I, I didn't know it caused you so much strife. Sorry about well, that. no, it wasn't strife. It was like I
4: knew people were watching, you
3: know? hmm Right, exactly. we didn't really
4: have numbers then. So, it was a little hard to find out, you know, if anyone was watching. But it, it didn't matter so much that it was being watched. It mattered who was watching, right? And that people chose to criticize it rather than celebrate it, which is, mm-hmm. I guess, easier to do, right? Sure, when people are afraid, and easier to be angry than to be happy for other people, I guess, right? But I always have some vicious, vicious letters about it. Hmm. But the heartfelt stand-up uh, saved a lot of lives, Rosie. It really, really, and truly did, it because was- it talked about women's heart attacks and it talked about the symptoms of a heart attack. Of course, I. After that show, every time I belch, I think (laughs) the last day. Uh
3: Uh-oh, hot, exhausted, pain, pale, puke.
4: (laughs) Exactly. Remember that? You got it all. Yeah. Yes. But who isn't a hot, exhausted, pain? I mean, you know, give me a break. Yes, correct. That's my constant state now. When I call about an ailment, I don't call to say, what is it? I ask if I'm having a heart attack. Yeah. You know, if I say I have a pain on my right side, you know, I say to the doctor, I'm like, is that a heart attack? Because, you know, I don't know. Right. Can't live forever. Yeah. Do you ever think about death?
3: Well, I think about it whenever I have any kind of, you know, indigestion or when the fireworks were going off and that loud boom and you feel it in your chest, I have a moment of, uh-oh, yeah. you know, it's uh it's still scary. It's 11 years since I had my heart attack. And you called me when I was in the hospital. You're like, we're doing a documentary on this. It has to be funny. Figure it out. <laughs> And then you sent gorgeous flowers and an outfit for me to wear on the way home. Remember that?
4: I go to your doctor, Alison Spax. Yes, she's recommend. fantastic. Isn't she fantastic? She's been very good to me. I call her on a regular basis. So
3: do I. That's what I used to do. Like, <laughs> it would be a Saturday night at 11 o'clock. I'm like, listen, I just felt something. Yeah,
4: well, you had more reason than I. Although now I guess age equals having a But, you know, if I burp too much. Yeah. First, I look it up online and I get like nine... Nine reasons for it. Right. I pick the most serious reason for it, and then I call her. So, like, if one is, you know, you have acid indigestion, you know, take a Tums. I pass those by, and I go down right. to one that says you have esophageal reflex, which could be cancer, yeah. and you should call your physician right away. So I do what it tells me. But I wait till I get to the serious part of the symptoms. Do you think your interest in
3: people and your compassion for people and real stories comes from your childhood and your mother and your dealing with her illness your whole life? And, you know, you told me a beautiful story once about going to a a diner with your mom when she was not well and had lost parts of her
4: body. And do you remember this story? My mother had this disease called Raynoid's disease and scleroderma. Mm -hmm. And she would lose appendages from the time I was very little. You know, my mother had like four toes on one foot and Half of a toe on the other. Then she lost fingers. Then she lost an arm uh, above the wrist. Then she lost it above the elbow. And then she lost a leg. Well, you know, I don't mean to go to the details, but I think that I don't know why I don't want to go into details because they were true. Right. But the thing was, I watched the way people looked at her. Well, I realized that difference hurts the person who carries difference with them. And whether it's about sexuality or race or disabilities of various kinds, that those people need defending. Yes. As just another one of us, because we all have our disabilities. They don't always show. You know, although I didn't get along with her very well and I had a tough childhood, I think I'm very grateful to her for a certain kind of empathetic mm-hmm. look at the outsider. You know. Right. Because I had all the reasons to be an insider. I was tall, I was pretty, I was smart, I was, you know, all that. But I never felt that way because I would go around with my mother or I would drive her car that had handbrakes. I never get into a car and drive it without feeling guilty because her car was fixed by Volvo to have handbrakes because she had no fingers on one hand and one on the other. So everything was different. The brakes were different. The thing was different. And when I get into a car and you just put it on and you turn it on, you go, Mm -hmm. I always think of my mother's car. Right. And that makes me think of other people. Which is that it's not easy, you know, to go up a flight of stairs if you don't have a leg. Exactly. And it's not easy if there isn't access for those of us who are wounded. But I also think I learned that everybody's wounded somehow. Right. Except for arrogant people or the Supreme Court. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody has wounds whether they show or not. And I think that, you know, I'm interested in the wounded yeah, because you know not anyone else is going to tell their story, right? exactly. and but, but
3: that's why I think you're so great at what you do, Sheila, because you have this unending well of compassion from all that you've lived.
4: But I wasn't compassionate to my mother, Rosie. I was well, that was a difficult situation, right? She kept me back from everything. You know, I wanted to go places and I couldn't go because, you know, I had to take care of my mother. And one day I came home from school, and I mean, it was actually college and there were like police outside the building. And I had mixed feelings about what I thought might be going on uh-huh. on the third floor. And when I got upstairs, it was the beginning of the child proof top. Yes. And my mother had pain medication in it and she couldn't open it. Oh. So she dialed, I guess it was 911 then too. I don't know. This is, we're going back 30 years, 40 years, maybe even more. She couldn't get the top off right. and her neighbor wasn't there. And I wasn't home on time. Mm. And it was a new bottle of pain stuff. And so the police came to open the bottle. Wow. You know, both of the days when the police came different time, but um, yeah, very different time. But I remembered that very strongly because, you know, they don't usually get calls like that. And I've learned a lot about policemen, but they were very kind to this woman. Then I mean, she was very young, you know, she was in her maybe 40s at the time that that happened. And I, you know, I just remembered my mom, you know, can't open a bottle. Right. And I have to be there. Those bottles, you have to push down. You have to push, them, push and twist. You have to turn. Yeah. But you can't do that if, if you, you have fingers, right? Fingers her, couldn't, she couldn't hold the bottle and do it. Yeah. And she tried and tried and tried. And, you know, the bottle was like squished in different ways. Yeah. I remember trying, she tried she trying to hammer it. She tried to do all kinds of things, you know, that she could grasp. And uh, I never forgot. I mean, you know, do you have any happy stories to tell <laughs> me about? This? How's David? Is David good? David is an interesting character.
3: David is her beautiful son, who I love very much.
4: And he's a very darling little boy. He doesn't like me.
3: Yes, he does. He loves you, Sheila. No, he
4: doesn't. He cries. No, David loves me. But the the little boy, because I don't go that much. You know, every day when you have a grandchild, your whole life is going to be different. Yes, yes. Take to look at me. I think I come on too strong. Like, really? ah, oh, oh. <laughs> You <laughs> love me. I love your grandma.
6: Hey, yeah, you
3: know? yeah. How old is he? How old's the baby?
4: He's a, almost a year and a half. Yeah, and he um, he's into drag queens. Great. He has all these. Uh, one of the books that's banned is called uh, Little Miss Hot Something, and it's a children's book like three to the eight or something like that. Picture book of um, someone who says the drag queen goes swish swish swish. Right, the right. Drag queen goes reach, reach, reach. Right. And one day I couldn't find anything to bring because I usually try to bring something. So maybe he'll be happy to see me. <laughs> and so I bring this little book. Yeah. of Drag Queens. Yeah. And he grabs it you know, I wrapped it in, you know, whatever paper I should find. And, uh, you know, he opens it and he gives it to his mother and she starts to read it. And he's captivated by this book. Wow. The next morning I call, you know, just call. I say, how's it going? She said, I'll never forgive you for that book. <laughs> he woke up this morning and he said, instead of saying that, you know, I, they wait to say mommy, right, you know, right. that, <laughs> they hear it when nobody else hears it. Right. Oh, they just said mommy. Right, and, he said, right. <laughs> and so he says his first word, bush, bush,
3: Oh, that's so funny. Bush. Come on. And he
4: goes running, to the, you know, walks, waddling to his sort of playpen area and he picks up the book. And she said she had to read it six times to him. (laughs) He wanted to hear it again and again. And he has a special move where he gets on the couch and he, you know, moves his hips back and forth. Mm -hmm. So if in twenty years uh, I won't be around, I guess. But in twenty years, if he becomes a drag queen, I take full responsibility. Full credit. There you go. Full credit. Only be happy. That's how is it to see your son be a dad. It's very touching. Yeah. Because he's um he's an interesting character. He had a, certainly an addiction problem. He had uh Tourette's, which was also problematic. Which was a wonderful documentary you did
3: as well, which was beautiful.
4: I have Tourette's but Tourette's doesn't have me. Yeah. But I think it had him for a while, but he outgrew it. But the thing is I see Tourette's in other people, you know, I see people doing things and I you know, I, I understand. I don't say anything. I don't know that they know it, but people have the wrong conception. They think Tourette's is where people say fuck you know, and all that stuff. That's not what it is. It's like obesity. It's like alcoholism. It's like anything else. It's your brain. And the medications that he has taken over the years have really Mm -hmm. helped him tremendously. Not to be made fun of in school. Right. To be very smart. And in this case, to be very loving. Right. Uh, He loves this little boy. That's so great. Yeah, it's nice life-altering
3: you're a grandma too i'm a grandma three times in fact chelsea's pregnant again no yes she's pregnant with her fourth at 25 years old
4: do the kids cry when they see you
3: no (laughs) they call me uh grandma rose which i just think is so funny i was like how about nana
4: and they're like, "Hello, Grandma Rose." <laughs> you know? Why is grandma a bad word? Everybody said, "Does he call you grandma?" No, I don't like
3: grandma, but I had a nana, so I I wanted to be nana. Oh, oh yeah, but I, I just think it's so funny. "Hello, Grandma Rose." I'm like, "Hello, honey, how are you?"
4: <laughs> My daughter in law tries to get him to call me she-she. Mm-hmm. but I said, I don't mind being grandma. I don't, I kind of like it. I mean, you know what the hell? Yeah, exactly. I, I earned it.
3: You earned it. Hey, listen, did you hear about the Menendez brothers may get out of jail because one of the boys from the band Menudo, which was managed by their father, said that he was brutally raped by Jose Menendez as well when he was 13? Really? So they have new evidence and they might. How do you find out if it's true? Uh, I know that it's true because I've spoken to Lyle uh, Menendez and his wife. Pretty fascinating. I thought this is a documentary waiting to be had. But aren't there two? There are two brothers, yes, Lyle and Eric. Right, both abused Yes, only one? What, one was abused till he was eight and then it stopped. And unbeknownst to him, he went to the younger brother. And um, supposedly five days before the incident, the mother admitted that she knew all along what the father was doing.
4: Was that in the original trial?
3: Well, here's the interesting thing. The original trial was a hung jury 6-6 and they allowed the evidence of, sex abuse to be in the trial. But then Rodney King and OJ Simpson both were done in that time period between the first trial and the second trial. In the second trial, the judge, same judge, said there will be no evidence of sex abuse in this trial. And that's when they got- Well, that's not right. Correct. And they tried to do a writ of habeas for that. And now they have another writ of habeas. And I just thought, you know, I said, this This is a documentary that has to be made. You know, 30 years ago, we weren't willing to even entertain the concept that sometimes fathers rape their sons
4: as well as their daughters, not just their daughters, you know? Sounds interesting. I'm, I'm you know, I don't know why I'm always suspicious of retrials in some way. You either did it or you didn't. Does that mean you kill your father? Well, and you
3: know, if you hear the, the, um, the mother also was incestuous with the older brother, with Lyle as well, uh, when he got to be a teenager. So I don't know. I just thought if anyone's going to do this documentary, it should be you, you know, you and Rory Kennedy together again, you know.
4: Good old Rory. I love her so much. Wasn't she the best ever? What are we going to do about the brother, though? What are we going to do about the brother?
3: Right. Oh, God, I, I, I was just interviewed the other day and said, I think he's doing a disservice to everyone.
4: I know, but it's so amazing. I mean, when I knew him many, many years ago, he was saving the fish in the Hudson. Right. He was an environmentalist and he was, you know, this amazing Kennedy. And then I thought, whoa, ooh, you know? Yeah, where are we now? Family Hold on. And then this. This. I mean, he doesn't only not believe in the COVID vaccine. He doesn't believe that children should be vaccinated. I
3: know. He has very dangerous ideas and theories. I, I'm not a supporter of his. Listen, Sheila Evans. I don't know who's better than you. I don't think there's anyone. Well, oh, I know a lot of people that are better than me. There's you. Tell me two. Come on, not me. Give me two people better than you that we both know. Oh, that we both know. I know one you're going to say, Larry Kramer. That's who your buddy, right?
4: Larry, my best friend. Yeah. I mean, still, even though he's not he's here not anymore. He's not here anymore, yeah. I know he's dead. But I when I'm very unsure of something, I remember he always used to say, do it. Yeah. Do it. Right. Well, so I hear that voice. Um And he was, uh, you know, I didn't think that this would be a friend. It was the furthest thing from my mind. It was just to meet someone who we were doing a documentary about. And I heard he was just a mean son of a bitch. And he could be mean, but he was never mean to me. Right. Never mean to me
3: either. I enjoyed him as well.
4: He liked people who were open about wounds. Right. He didn't like wonders. Right. And he was, but he was difficult. He was difficult. You know, I had this one thing with him, which was the one big laugh we had towards the end, which was he liked Nova lox and cream
6: cheese
4: Mm on a everything bagel. Right. And so I would always stop and get him Nova lox, cream cheese and everything bagel at this sort of Jewish towel delicatessen down the block. It must have been a Jewish holiday. The store was closed. And so I went to local deli and, you know, had a lovely man make me a lox and cream cheese thing. And I him right he took one bite of it and he said it's not nova <laughs> i only want nova and he gave me back the sandwich. if it the wasn't nova way. he didn't want it. he wanted the finest nova anyway yeah i miss him yeah sheila i love
3: you so much i think you're the greatest and uh, okay i love you there's nobody i'd rather hang with you're a good-hearted star so are you honey i'm, I'm not a star Okay, we'll be back with questions from the listeners. Don't go away.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year
1: It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math and Magic Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine, and I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic a creative Spark more than ever. Listen to Math and Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
3: Okay, how fabulous is Sheila Nevins, right? She's she's too much. I love you so much, Sheila. Here we go.
7: Questions from you, the listener. Hi, Rosie O'Donnell. I just like saying your first and last name together. It's Kim calling from beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. I just want to say how delightful it is to hear you on the radio again every week. Uh, I grew up, you know, watching your TV show, of course, watching you on The View, watching your movies and listening to your days on Rosie Radio with Jeanette and the rest of the great crew that you had there um so I'm just loving having you on the radio again and listening to you um, every week on your podcast it's been delightful the one with Bridget effort was amazing um I know one thing you mentioned last time and this kind of leads into my question is postmenopausal women and you are as you are one and as someone who is 52 right now and going through, The change, so to speak. I'm wondering if you have any tips, tricks, or did you take any specific supplements? Basically, how was your menopausal journey? Anyway, thanks so much for doing this podcast. Loving it so much and love you. Take good care.
3: Thank you, Kim. That is so sweet. I love hearing from the listeners because, you know, I could put a little voice and I make up a face in my head and I think about your lives and what you're doing. And it's uh It's very enjoyable for me, truthfully. Uh, Kim, menopause is horrible. There's no way around it. When I first went through it, which was in my early 40s, because menopause started for me at 40, which was shocking, I wanted to punch every woman I saw in the supermarket right in the face because if they were older than me, I wanted to say, why didn't you write a book about this? Why didn't you tell someone? It was really, really exhausting for me. I was sweating through my clothes. I couldn't go to the mall because by the time I was halfway through, I looked like I was in the shower. My head would get wet. So it looked like I had wet hair all the, well, I did have wet hair, but it looked like that greasy slicked back. I was so hot that in the middle of the winter in Nyack, New York, I opened the door to the outside where there was snow on the ground. And I stood out there naked for 30 minutes at two in the morning because I couldn't bear just how hot I was. Now, I did go on hormone replacement therapy, the stuff that you cream that you put on your arms. But I then had a heart attack. And um, the doctor from my heart attack said, you are not doing them anymore. So I'm not going to try to cause a controversy about who believes what or what. I know for me, I'm not doing them everybody has to make their own decision. And, um, you know, being that I had a a massive heart attack, it, it was something that the doctor was very much against. So do your own research again and find out, but I wish you luck. I would, uh, say, bring the heavy duty fan everywhere you go. I would say, uh, know that it's really hard and, ask your doctor about natural supplements that you can take that might lessen some of the symptoms. But for me, honey, it was pure hell. Kim, I wish you the best. It's not for wimps, I could tell you that. So good luck to you and all the other women out there. All right, we have another
6: one coming from another listener? Let's see. Hi, Rosie, this is Mike from Perry Hall, Maryland. I've been a longtime fan and really enjoyed your talk show when you had it back in the 90s. My question for you is about the movie you made, Riding the Bus with My Sister. Can you talk about the prep that it took in order to get yourself ready for such a role? I always found it very interesting how you were able to embody such a character. I was a teacher for a long time, and I was in charge of working with students who had developmental disabilities. And I must say, you did such a fantastic job embodying somebody with such gifts so if you could share some of your experience from that, that would be greatly appreciated. Much gratitude to you, my friend. Take good care.
3: Thank you, Mike. You sound like a great guy, somebody I'd like to hang out with. Um, good for you for the work that you've done with your life. And um, I have special place in my heart for all the people who have spent their life helping people with different challenges. You know. Um, now that I have a child uh, with autism, I am so obsessed and surrounded by all the concepts of inclusion and acceptance and tolerance. And um, the movie Riding the Bus with My Sister is one of my favorite things I've ever done. Angelica Houston directed it. It was based on a book. It was made into a movie. And I was lucky to have a friend named Karen who had a friend who had nearly the same kind of obsessive compensation in the bus and subway systems of New York. Now, um, I befriended her, and we had dinner a bunch of times. We were at someone's house and just hanging out and talking, and what I was doing was really an exact copy of that woman, and um i'm so grateful to her for allowing me to be so close to kind of absorb a lot of her essence before i ever got to do the film you know and you wonder and worry when you do a film like that how do you best serve the subject matter how do you make this character as real as real can be as real as any other character you you have to sink into it and find a place where it lives inside your body. And um, it was a very big challenge, and I was so grateful that I got the opportunity. And what an amazing uh, vehicle that, that movie was. And I think what it says about, about family and about need and and fitting in and feeling that you have a safe place to land is important for every human being. And that's what I I tried to convey, was to give her, Beth Simon, such a full and colorful interior life and world. And thank you for the praise for that. I really do appreciate that, Mike. And again, thank you for all the work that you've done with your life. Okay, I think we got time for one more.
8: Hey, Rosie. Rosie. My name is Rory James and uh, like a lot of people who call in, I grew up watching your show and I loved it so much. It meant so much to me and it still does. You know, long before I had any idea that I was a big homo gay, (laughs) you and your show just made me feel understood. It just felt like my people, you know, just the laughs and the silliness and the obsessions and the fun, just the best. Uh, These days, I'm a stand-up comic here in L.A., and I wanted to know what stand-up comedy advice you would give uh, comics like me who are out there grinding it out and trying to work our way up in in this current era. I know you don't do stand-up as often these days— but if you ever need an opening act, I could do a type 5, I could do a type 10, I could do a type 20. Whatever you need, O'Donnell, I got you. I love you so much, and I hope you feel the love from all of us who you've impacted over the years. You're the best, Rosie.
3: I really do feel the love, I got to tell you. And it really is very heartwarming. Every time that I do an interview and I record someone and then, and then we take the questions at the end, it's always kind of my favorite part to get to hear what the listener thinks and, and what they're wondering about. And, and the kindness is overwhelming. I mean, you'd think from all these that we only picked ones that are complimentary. We got to find some that are you know, not as effusive, but um, we don't do that on purpose. It's the majority of people who, who leave a message. So thank you all for that. I, I really do appreciate it. As for stand-up, you know, the only thing I say to everyone is, if you want to surf, you got to get in the water. And if you want to be a stand-up comic, you got to get in that stage every single time you can. I don't care where it is. I don't care what it is. You accept the gig and you go and you do it because every single performance you learn from – and, you know, Malcolm Gladwell said you need 10,000 hours before you become an expert at anything. And you need 10,000 hours on a stage in some way. You know, you need to be as familiar with that stage as you are with your own home, as you are with your kitchen, that you, you can walk around, that it's yours. That from the time you step on that stage, you command the room from that, you know, your control base, that, that little tiny 10-foot, sometimes smaller stage. And... um I'm thinking about doing some stand-up around LA and I would love to see you do some stand-up around LA. Keep doing it, honey. Keep doing it. The more you surf, the better you get. So get in the water, mister. Thank you, everybody. Wonderful, wonderful to hear from all of you and please uh, send us your voice memo so we can play them here on our podcast. And next week, My friend, Marcy Marie, who spent 10 years in prison in the Texas prison system and is now an advocate working to help people understand just how badly The situation is, especially in the Texas prison system. She's a wonderful, wonderful woman. I've become friends with her and her fiance, and um, I can't wait to introduce her to all of you next week. That's Marcy Marie, and we'll be talking about the uh, women's incarceration and uh, setup that they have there in Texas. Peace out, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.
1: This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A.,